Clint Eastwood, David Clint Eastwood was in the Army, not the Navy. Yeah, he was in the Army. Yeah. He was a passenger on this. And he was a passenger. So this yep. is a story, what was this here? Who put this up? David, what's the story here? Well, Eastwood was a passenger in a uh, AD-1 Sky Raider, a Navy airplane, uh, on a training flight. And they were relocating a flight to his pilot had radio problems, got lost in weather. Uh, when he broke out into VMC, he was way off course and low on fuel, and he wound up ditching uh, off the coast, and and uh, everybody got out okay, although the passenger nearly drowned in the escape, uh, which would have been tragic for the movie industry because he went on to become Clint Eastwood. That's right. It's, it's, yeah, it's a funny way of putting it. He went on to become Clint Eastwood. What, uh, what is Clint Eastwood? Is his, his birth name? This is, now we're really moving into trivia here. Let's see. Uh, Wikipedia. That's a good question. Uh, I mean, is Clint Eastwood? No, it looks like Wikipedia describes him as Clinton Eastwood Jr. So it sounds like it is his birth name. That is his, his um, real name. Yeah. But he, became, he went on to become the, uh, the uh, celebrity we know as Clint Eastwood um, and uh, does Clint is Clint does Clint Eastwood fly? Did he ever learn to fly? Is he one of the celebs that flies? I don't. I don't know. I, I didn't I, find anything about it. Yeah. So, uh, but uh, yeah, he is a junior. Yeah, yeah Wikipedia says Eastwood is a certified pilot and often flies his helicopter to the studios to avoid traffic. Ah. Okay. Okay. But so they're trying to, what, they want to try and recover this uh, Sky Raider that uh, went into the water? And, uh... That's the plan now that they've, they they think they've found it, mm-hmm. uh, is to try to raise it from its watery grave. Uh, you know, I got to figure, there's a lot of wrecked airplanes on the bottom of the ocean out exactly. there. Exactly. Because oh, this yeah. is, talk about training areas, you know, I mean, this is... Uh, a um, bunch of years ago, actually a little bit to the south, down by Monterey, they found the uh, the blimp. So there's a blimp that's famous, a blimp, a uh, airship um, that is famous for having operated out of uh, out of uh, Moffett Field down down near San Jose, and uh, um, and it was like one of the last commissioned military airships or something like that, and uh, and then it got tangled up in a storm. It was cruising offshore there, you know, near Central California and uh, got tangled up with a storm of some sort and uh, went into the water. And uh, um, and they and about, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago, they found it, and uh, they've sent, you know, ROVs down there to take pictures of it. And, they, you know, the uh, the aircraft that would hang underneath it are still there, I guess, and uh, mm-hmm. it's a cool thing. But you hear stories all the time. There was a lot of military training activity in that area between, between Moffat and... and uh, Oh, I can't think. I Mather is one of the ones they were talking about this story, um, and I just got to figure there's all kinds of crashed airplanes on the bottom of the ocean out there. Um, but if they got a good look at it, they can check numbers and and yeah. know that this is the right one. I do have a small question about this. Yeah, the a uh, the uh, um, the Sky Raider A one A D one Sky Raider whatever it is. It's a single seat airplane. Really. Well, now that does make it an interesting story, doesn't it? Uh, you hear stories all the time. Unless about this was unless this was a training version or something, I don't know that there were any. Um, you know, it's a shame we don't have some device that would. I know, huh? 
I mean, you hear stories all the time about about uh, people who, you know, especially this is a cross uh, uh, service thing. Uh, maybe carrying an army guy. I wonder if this was an unapproved flight that he just bummed a ride and snuck into the what are you know the equivalent of the baggage compartment or something like that. According to the Wikipedia page, there were several multi-seat versions. Ah, okay. um, a three-seat night attack version was built, for example. Um, I don't see anything about a... You know, here's a two-seat electronic countermeasures version, but I don't see anything about dates, um, um, things like that, as far as when these were produced and what possibly Eastwood could have been a passenger in. Mm-hmm. There's an 82, for example. Um, yada yada, but uh, right, uh, two seat, yeah, several, just one of those details. Okay. Now, what they could have done, alternate to going to the water, is they could have landed on the beach. Okay, which is this is what passes if for they, a segue if, today. If, <laughs> they could have, if they could have found a beach, if they could have found the beach, I, I guess it, does the story say how far out in the uh, to see two miles? Were? Oh, really? Okay, all right. Well, you know, still. And if visibility is bad, yeah, you might not see the shore from two miles out. But man, if you're if you're over the water in that situation and can't see the shore, uh, you got to wonder where the heck you are. Uh, yeah. You know, you've been flying above or in the clouds for a while, and suddenly you pop out and you see ocean everywhere, and you go, "Holy crap! Am I halfway to Hawaii now?" You know what the heck? Um, so, uh, but but landing on the beach. So you can land on the beach like this guy in South Carolina did. Um, yeah. And uh, how do you think? Is that a segue? That's a segue. No, it's, it's, it's poor. But it it, it, oh, it's poor for sure. You know, that's <coughs> what, that's, we'll see. This is going to be, you know. So say, Charleston, South Carolina, uh, what am I looking at here? I'm looking at uh, usnews.com. Uh, local and federal officials say a single-engine airplane landed on a South Carolina beach so the pilot could take a picture. All right, and long story short, apparently this guy got busted and fined for for landing on this beach. And I'm trying to figure out what's going on here because so if there's people on the beach and he lands voluntarily, that would be a bad thing. All right, if there are like houses nearby and he lands voluntarily, that might be a bad thing. All right, clearly there's laws about the regulations about this. But if there was just like if this was a, a, a remote beach and there's nobody around and he lands in order to take a picture, that's not against the rules, is it? Well, <clears throat> I think it comes down to a couple of things. One, um, you mentioned if he lands on the beach and there are houses around. Um, I think the regulation says except when taking off or landing, Ooh, yeah, uh, that's you right. have to you have to be X number of feet or something like that. Um, <clears throat> secondly. Um, the FAA considers, and, and that regulation goes into uh, a congested, I think defines, undefined, I should say, is, is a congested area. Case law, since the regulation was put into effect, uh, means that the FAA might consider a congested area to be a crossroads with two houses on it. Yeah. Uh, okay. So... They, they get to make the definitions. I think thirdly, though, is the pictures associated with this. There's a video, um, and uh, there's a bunch of people out there. There's, you know, a, a couple of camera crews, all this kind of thing. The guy wasn't there. 
he didn't just stop, hop out, take a picture, get back in, and crank up. He was there for a while, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, is it a public beach? Don't know. But there's a bunch of people around there, and he could certainly, I can certainly see a careless and reckless um, 9113 for uh, uh, landing uh, in a uh, non runway, non approved airport when there's a bunch of innocent people standing around. Uh, yeah, I mean, if there's a bunch of innocent people standing around, I, I'm not at all cool with it, but. Uh, um well, but they they may or may not have been there when he landed. Right. I, I, I totally get that. All I'm saying is that right now, given this picture, given some of the images in this video, uh, it's pretty clear that it wasn't just a stop, drop, and hop. That's um, true. Yeah. Um, so I don't know. Um, but uh, picked a good airplane for it. Yeah, he did. Um, yeah. Sorry, I was yeah. just making a note here because you just gave me the title of the episode. Um, and, uh, hmm, okay. David, uh, so Jeb, I, I, from what I know of your history, you don't do a lot of off-airport landing stuff, bush piloty kinds of things, right? Not with the debonair. Right, that's what I figured. Um, although we're going to have to talk about the champ one of these days, but that's another yeah, story. No, that's, David, that's another story. Uh, ultralight flying, David. Um, do you, you must have landed it interesting. Uh, off the beaten path places, right? Uh, what's the statute of limitations? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, actually, qu- quite quite a few times. Uh, yeah, in the early years of Sun and Fun, uh, when it ran from Sunday through Saturday, Wednesday, a bunch of us in the ultralight area would do a fly out to a, a, a little breakfast restaurant about forty forty mile forty forty five miles south. Uh, land behind it uh, in a open field and uh, go in, mm-hmm. have breakfast, and then fly back. Okay. Uh, landed on some uh, earthen dams that separate uh, uh, ponds uh, in a couple of places in Florida. Jiminy, uh, uh, when I was living and working out of Frederick, uh, I'd fly Quicksilver up to. Uh, Hanover, Pennsylvania, then over to Gettysburg, and then down to uh, near Harper's Ferry mm-hmm. and land behind a little country store, top off my gas, get a RC cola and a moon pie, and then <laughs> fly back to Frederick. Uh, yeah. No, that's great, David. I love it. Uh, lot, lots of lots of places in different parts of in Tennessee where I learned to fly ultralights. Uh did a few off-field landings in the hang glider when I uh, was attempting cross countries or a, a distance trip, and uh, never done it in a in, in a certificated airplane. Right uh, now, did you, but so did did you guys in that community have any sort of rule of thumb or 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 interpretation of the rules that that defined a line? You know, like what was okay and what was not okay. Yeah, we did sort of. Uh, an FAA guy from uh, the FISDO in uh, Chattanooga, I believe, is where he was out of. He came to one of our uh, hang gliding club meetings and talked to us about where it was uh, okay. What the FAR said about landing in uh, places other than an airport, uh, how to uh, recognize a congested area, which 
he said to be on the safe side if there's two people there. That's, that's <laughs> right. See, okay. Said, but most inspectors aren't going to gig you for that. But you need to maintain separation from houses and buildings and right. uh, and people. Uh, so, you know, occasionally we would land in a, like one place we landed was a turf farm. But most of these intentional flyouts, we had talked to the people where we were going to be landing and, and cleared it with them ahead of time. And it was like, yeah, sure, come on down. Because they knew that if people saw two or three or four of us landing behind the, the store, the gas station, or the restaurant, whatever, that it would likely attract other people. And if other people came in, they'd likely buy coffee or breakfast or lunch or whatever. So, oh, yeah, okay. Uh, there were a couple of instances where these uh, off-field landings were not planned in advance. Uh, when a drive belt or a gearbox or a fuel pump would fail uh, on the two cycle engines that nominated ultralights at the time. And you basically would say, okay, I'm landing now. Where? And find the easiest, safest spot hopefully one that you could get back out of once you diagnosed the problem. Uh, did that more than a few times, too. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But that's a different kind of situation. That's that's essentially an emergency. And that was a, essentially an emergency, but we didn't have a radio, so we couldn't declare. We just landed right. there. But, but, but regardless of whether you're able to declare, the fact that you have a bona fide emergency going on gives you a different kind of set of rules or at least a different interpretation of the rules, as I understand it. Can I, can I pick a bone there for a second? Yeah, go ahead. Um, declaring an emergency. Who cares? Yeah, that's sort of what I was getting I mean, at. That's, it's, that's, it's, that's the way I felt about it at the time. Yeah, <laughs> if, a tree, if, if a tree falls in the forest and no one hears it, if you declare an emergency and no one hears you, do, are you still having <laughs> an emergency? It, is it still right. an emergency, right? Yeah. I mean, I think if you're in communication, you know, you, you, you have an obligation, or certainly it's wise to advise them that what's sure. going on. Sure, sure. But I'm I'm sort of with with Jeb here, and I bet Dave is too. That that you don't have to declare it for it to be an emergency. Say it to you. yourself. You just declared it. Okay, that's right. Yeah, that's mayday, right. mayday, mayday to yourself, and do whatever you need to do. That's usually, right. usually the first words that popped into my brain was, "Here we go again." <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, the first words that would pop have popped into my brain are are not uh, suitable for a family podcast. for a family podcast that's exactly right starts with an o and goes from the downhill from there from downhill from there <laughs> downhill from there hey listen so, welcome okay i'm sorry i was gonna i was gonna start but you can what were you gonna say david i, I was gonna say when you got a landing speed in the, in, in the mid 20s and a, a rollout distance of a couple of hundred feet uh, a whole lot more of the world is viable landing space and yeah and, and, yeah yeah, yeah. Welcome, folks, to Uncontrolled <laughs> Airs. Now, see, that's no segue at all. That, that's no segue at all. <laughs> yeah, right. And we, right. we should talk about something else, then have a segue. Yeah, segue, right. did he, segue did he go, George? Well, so welcome. Well, I, I go ahead. Want, I, I want to pick a little bit more of that. But David, okay. what do you remember about the FAA guy who told you about FAA's regulations on landing off airport? Uh, because I'm not finding anything. And I, and I know the answer before I ask, but go ahead. Well, it was what he was talking about. What do I remember? What do I remember of him? And he was a, a, a short, stout guy who <laughs> wasn't a pilot, uh, but he was an inspector. Uh, 
and did ramp checks and such. He wasn't uh, a pilot, but he was an inspector. Okay, I will let yeah, that slide. That's, yeah, that's not, not uncommon. Right. I mean, I prob- I'm sure it's not. Yeah. And what he was Shaking focusing on sadly. was what what he was focused on was the uh, the idea that we were doing deliberate landings in places that weren't airports, and he wanted to make sure that we understood us, us great unwashed hang glider and ultralight pilots, uh, about a third of whom had a license, uh, were aware that there were things like uh, clearance requirements from buildings and uh, and, uh, uh, congested area definitions to deal with, just to keep us on the clean side. Mm -hmm. Uh, But there really was no regulation about landing off-field. Right. It was just that if you're going to do this, be aware that these constraints exist. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And so, in fairness, I was shaking my head at, at his, um, finger quotes, inexperience. It sounds like he was pretty cool about the whole thing. I mean, he could have said, no, 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 don't do that. That's wrong. You guys should not be landing uh, any of these places if it doesn't have a runway. But he didn't say that. He kind of said, no, you know, well, here's he, the deal. He, he, he knew we were doing it. We'd been doing it long before the FAA decided to pay attention to it. We'd been doing it before there was a Part 103 yeah. uh, to define ultralight uh, because any time we took our hang gliders off on a on an attempt to go cross-country, it was a given that we were going to land someplace other than the designated landing field back by the launch site. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And, uh, you know, for, for those, there's no tires, there's no wheels, we can't tear up stuff. Uh, the engine's not going to bother anybody because there's no engine. Uh and uh, the uh, examples that he gave us were drawn uh, in large part from sailplane pilots mm-hmm. because those guys were flying licensed aircraft and were licensed and uh, presumably knew the rules. And he just wanted to make sure that we knew that there were rules about some of this stuff and, and acted accordingly. Uh, Landing out in a hang glider or a sailplane it, it, because your cross country has come to an end is not a, an emergency that you can declare to get yourself a jail out and uh, out of jail free card. You knew you were going to land somewhere out mm-hmm. when yeah. you decided to go cross country. And then, of course, there's hot air balloons. Yep. Yeah. And speaking of hot air, welcome, folks, <laughs> <coughs> to Uncontrolled Airspace, the General Aviation Podcast. Thank you, Jeb. I appreciate that. I'm Jack Hodgson, <laughs> coming to you from high atop beautiful uh, lookout point in uh, wonderful Nottingham, New Hampshire. I got my adjectives in the wrong places there. Sorry. Um, but uh, it's uh, it's definitely turning to spring here. It got to be like 70 degrees here the other day. That was awesome. And uh, Jeb, just be quiet. Don't say a word. Um, and... Uh, <laughs> Uh, so, uh, so I'm happy with the whole thing. Um, it did snow here. Really weird thing. So I, I live on a lake. All right. Um, lookout point is actually on the shore of a lake here in uh, Nottingham, New Hampshire. All right. And you're, you're just a pond bigot. I, well, sure. Sure. Okay. Um, and, uh, and one, one of the things that happens here, every it, it's a, it's a, a man-made, if you will, um, lake, uh, it's formed by a couple of dams that exist. Uh, and for a variety of reasons, every fall, they lower the level of the lake. They let the lake, they, they open up the dams and let it go down about four or five feet. Um, and that exposes a lot of the bottom of the lake. And so it looks very different. And it's just kind of part of the experience of living at Lookout Point. Um, and when the water is down, when the when the bottom of the lake is largely exposed is when it snows, all right? And so that's sort of, they go together, all right? It's like, 
lake at full level, summer, lake at low level, winter, all right? Well, the other day, uh, the lake has now naturally, you know, according to plan, reached its full summer level, what, what in, the, in the industry is called full pond. And uh, um, <laughs> it's reached full pond, um, yet the other day we had a freak snow shower, all right, where for about an hour, all right, it snowed, like seriously snowed, big honking snowflakes. I mean, it was not like a little flurry that you had to look carefully to see. It was snowing pretty good. And uh, But the thing that I found particularly interesting was, long story short here, sorry, is excuse me, is that uh, it was snowing while the lake was at full level. And I don't think I've ever seen it snow with the lake at full level. So that was a little bit of, I don't know why I got into that story. It seemed like a good idea at the beginning. I'm quibbling with the the concept that a snowstorm in New Hampshire can be a freak snowstorm. Um, In mid mid to late April, it's unusual, even Mm. even then. Even then, even then. Hey, I'm here in the uh, in the uh, no longer snowy or freaky uh, uh, virtual hangar, uh, talking to my two good friends here, uh, and uh, we're we're back this week after a after a, a scrubbed attempt at recording a week ago, and uh, and uh, after our visits to Sun and Fun, my two good friends, uh, Ch- Jeb Burnside. Hi, Jeb. How are you doing? I'm spiffy. <laughs> now, see. Why did I go with you first, then, Dave? I see, now I think about this every single know. episode because you, um, it, because it the weather's matter. nice. There's only two of us. When the yeah, weather's you nice, get to both of us eventually. I talk about Jeb first. Not always. I've been known to forget. Uh, what's going on, Jeb? Somewhere near Sarasota, Florida. How are you doing down there? It's doing, uh, it's, doing well. It's uh, it's spring in Florida. Um, mostly sunshine. A few white puffies flowing by. A gentle breeze. Uh, Maybe get into the 80s today. Um, this is the kind of day that you, you, you remember while you live in Florida. Ah, okay. I saw one of the listeners that I follow on Twitter um, commented on the fact that you had a really rainy day there, like maybe last week, like a day that got like three inches of rain, some crazy big number. I mean, he's a Florida guy, and he was um, uh, he was yeah astounded um, at how much rain days, you guys got. A couple of days after sun and fun, I guess. Um, um, or maybe it was that that Sunday of of that uh, first. Uh, no, no, it was after Sun and Fun because okay. it, it was it was it was after I was home. Yeah, so. we we got some. Uh, it was kind of overnight, so I didn't really see much of it. Um, but um, it's, you know, it came and went, kind of, sort of, uh, in that the ground is so dry, the ground just soaked it up and, and sloughed it off and said, "Hey, mm-hmm. bring, bring bring you know bring it you know yeah yeah." Um, so it wasn't that big a deal. It was. It was. I'm sure it was exciting to watch, uh, but as far as lasting effects, uh, nothing. Right. Right. And my other good friend here in a virtual hangar is uh, from the air capital of the world, Wichita, Kansas. Dave Higdon. Hi, David. What's going on with you? Nobody saw me do it. Can't prove nothing. <laughs> <laughs> but you've confessed to it on the podcast now, so you're toast. It's over. Get 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 used to it. You know, we're we're as Jeb described. We're we're. Um, clawing our way into spring we mm-hmm. we had 82 degrees a couple of days ago and then like 39 overnight yeah yesterday's high was in the mid 40s and back to the 70s today things are finally starting to green up mm-hmm. uh i'm winning a uh a war against a uh, concerted front invading my yard uh known as gophers and moles and we're winning that battle Thanks to better living through chemistry and a little rain. <laughs> okay. See, now we're going to get mail. 
You meanie, hurting the gophers. They're just creatures like you and me. Um, what's going on in the world of aviation? A couple of follow-up items. Um, a couple episodes ago, this would probably have been from before Sun and Fun, so this is five, you know, a bunch of episodes ago, we talked about um, the sort of legendary landing-slash-takeoff of a C-130 cargo aircraft on an aircraft carrier. Um, and we heard in the forums from a listener... Let's see now. Um, if you guys jump to that link, it's yeah, you have to scroll to the bottom. It's the last posting here. Yeah. Um, listener MTP underscore SC underscore flyer uh, writes, uh, loved the discussion about the C-130 operation on the USS Forrestal aircraft carrier. The pilot of that C-130 was one Lieutenant James H. Flatley III. He would later retire as a rear admiral. I had the privilege, uh, MTP SC Flyer writes, I had the privilege of meeting and knowing Admiral Flatley as part of the East Cooper Pilots Association in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, where I did my initial pilot training. Got to hear firsthand from Admiral Flatley about his adventure. It was a fascinating experience, especially for a new pilot like myself at the time. Um, that's very cool. That would have been a great story to hear. I wonder oh, if it's yeah. recorded anywhere. I, uh, um, that that would be pr- pretty neat. Yeah. It's, Let's uh, see what the Google does for yeah, us. Yeah, see if you can find it anywhere. Yeah. Wait, are you Googling uh, Admiral Hatley or Flatley? Excuse me, Flatley? Uh, we also yeah, there's a Wikipedia entry that confirms this. Yeah. Well, see, um, oh, oh, see, you journalist guy. I never doubted that MT- MTP. No, 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 no. I'm not suggesting. Was... I'm not suggesting that he was. He, he's not. He, no. I'm just <laughs> okay, saying, go ahead. Just saying, there's a there's there's uh, um, and there's a picture. Yeah. Of of uh, of uh, the C-130 aboard. What is it? The, the Forrestal. Is that's what? Yeah. I. Yeah. I, is it? Yeah. Okay. But. Um, yeah. And I'm curious mm-hmm. whether or not Admiral Flatley's uh, story has been recorded, either in writing or, or audio or video someplace. That would be interesting. And, uh, well, let's see. He, he did receive the Distinguished Flying Cross and the Air Medal for this. Um, there's also a couple of links. Let's see what those links tell us. Um, that's, that one doesn't work. <clears throat> There's a South Carolina Aviation Association page. Um, talks about uh, uh, flatly made not one, not ten, but twenty nine touch and goes and twenty one full stop landings in a C one thirty on the U- on the carrier USS Forrestal. Wow, that's pretty cool. That is that's, pretty cool. That's I never realized that they did that many. I and. But this was never an operational thing, was it? This was sort of a just a test and experiment. A there's, a whole, there's a whole bunch here on this page, actually. Let me let me get this link to you. Oh, here we go. Testing the new system. Testing, how this testing the new system. If memory serves, the testing was done to see if it could be done in case it needed to be done. Sometime. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, exactly. Yeah. So what's going to happen? <laughs> I'm going to click this. <laughs> We're using a new piece of software for recording, folks, and so I have no idea what's going to happen here. It's, it's very possible the recording will end disastrously, and we'll have to resume it somehow painfully. On gonna... the side of the fuselage, a big sign had been painted that said, Look, Ma, no hook. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I clicked the link and nothing bad happened. I'm 
So, uh, very, very cool. Thank yeah. you to uh, to uh, uh, listener MTP, et cetera, et cetera, for, uh, sorry. MTP. Yeah, that would be Mount Pleasant, South Carolina. Right, right. Yeah. MTP SC Flyer um, for uh, for filling us in on that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, that That's pretty cool. cool. And then, I don't know, this, this, I think this goes way back. This is a follow-up from a long, long time ago. Embry-Riddle uh, uh, plane crash um, from some yeah. time ago. And, Jeb, you just kind of called our attention to uh, some more data. or Is it the yeah. actual report, or is it... Uh, what is this? Um, this, this is a mid-air breakup, man. This, this, is, this, is, this, a local, is, this is a local news story about, uh, about this event um, from the uh, Daytona Beach News Journal. Um, the, the facts in it, uh, let me um, put us on pause or something here. Let me yeah, okay. um, go find the... Um, Go find the uh, prelim if there is one. Interestingly, uh, Mike Bush is quoted in this story. Yeah, yeah, I saw that. Um, and uh, the, the thing that yeah. you know, while you while you while you dig here, I I, I just the thing that I mean, a, any plane crash is a tragedy, of course. Um, I mean, obviously, one that has has uh, injuries or and or fatalities. Um, of all the things that frighten me about aviation. Um, in in flight structural failure is like holy moly and uh, yeah. and and fortunately it doesn't happen very from my experience of watching aviation all these years doesn't happen very often um but apparently it happened here yeah there's a preliminary report on this this was uh april 4 um the punchline in all this is you got a a uh, piper arrow it's a 201, uh, so it's either an Aero 3 or an Aero 5. Uh, I think it was an Aero 5 because it was a more recent uh, uh, manufactured date. Um, let's see. Yeah, manufactured in, in 07, so it's an Aero 5. Um, with um, 7,690.6 hours mm-hmm. flight time on it. Um, took off on a check ride. Mm-hmm. With a uh, with an examiner, conducting his commercial uh, pilot check ride, took off and the left wing broke off the airplane, mm-hmm. and uh, both both aboard the airplane died. Um, the um, upshot, according to this news story, I believe. Um, let's go back to it. Where the hell is it? Um, the upshot, I think, is that Embry-Riddle grounded all of its uh, uh, arrows, Piper arrows, uh, for inspections. Uh, apparently, let's see, um, let's see, fractured left, um, let's see, left wing separated from the fuselage near the wing root and exhibited mid-span buckling of the surface skin. Mm-hmm. The left wing flap remained connected. Landing gear down and locked. Um, left wing tank remained remained intact. Um, let's see if there's fractured left main left wing main spar portions, along with box assembly attached. Uh, preliminary examination of the left wing main spar revealed that more than eighty percent of the lower spar cap and portions of the forward and aft spar web doublers exhibited fracture features consistent with metal fatigue uh and there's there's a picture um 
uh, of the uh, uh, fracture surface. Um, there's some drawings uh, regarding where the part uh, is involved uh, from the parts manual of, of where all this is located um, on the aircraft. Um, it's not clear um, if this was, you know, and this is something the NTSB will be exceedingly interested in. Is this a feature of um, time and uh, flight time? Is this mm-hmm. a feature of bad landings? Right. Uh, hard landings? Is this a feature of being in a salt air environment? Um, is this a feature of, of uh, poor maintenance? What's going on? And right. uh, that's it, a big question because these are uh, these are popular airplanes. Yeah. And it struck me, I mean, knowing where Embry-Riddle is located down there in Florida, that uh, the report said none of the surfaces exhibited corrosion or other pre-existing damage. Uh, part of that I'd write off to Piper's practice of priming all of its parts before they rivet them together. Mm-hmm. Uh because that close to the ocean, uh, it, it wouldn't be abnormal to see some sign of corrosion uh, somewhere, but apparently that was not an issue. Yeah. So this comes down to, the, the, I'm sure the sheer number of takeoffs and landings and missed approaches and all that, that this airplane accumulated in its 7,600 hours of flight. Mm-hmm. That's a lot of time. Uh, right. That airplane's averaging about over 600 hours a year mm-hmm. to do, do, do that. Tell it's, me something. Does this part of the swing spar um, receive a visual inspection during annuals or 100 hours? Or? Um, yeah, I bet you it, it will now. Yeah, right. I, I'm just wondering, is, is there a... You know, is there a the equivalent of a practical test standard for AMPs doing annuals? Is there a list of things they're supposed to check? Yes and no. Um, there is a, a, a part forty three specifies a number of items that are to be checked during uh, an annual inspection. Keeping in mind that a hundred hour inspection is just a, uh, an annual inspection done more frequently. Right. Um, so th- there is a list of things that, that are to be done, but it mainly kind of gets into, uh, you know, uh, um, doing a compression check on the engine mm-hmm. and uh, um, things like that. Yeah. Um, the the uh, manufacturer's instructions, uh, especially those instructions for continued airworthiness, uh, which are a relatively recent uh, development, um, would include is is the place I should say where uh, specific inspections uh, of various parts of the airframe would be included. I'm not aware. I'm certainly willing to be educated. I'm not aware of any such instructions uh, for the Piper Aero series. Uh, keep in mind also that um, how to put this. Um, this was an aircraft manufactured in '07, so as not even 11 years old yet um but i'm uh, almost positive that it was manufactured under the previously existing type certificate the air the arrows were first introduced to like 69 i think um so it would have been grandfathered uh from um um things like a specific uh 
instructions that are not related to an AD. Um, the, the, all that is to say, Jack, I simply don't know yeah, if, no, I know. if yeah. uh, uh, this particular portion of the spar is something that had to be inspected during normal inspections. Right. Yeah. Well, the, the uh, <coughs> annual inspection, the 100-hour inspection, uh, they should be taking a look at where the wings bolt to the uh, to the fuselage. But the spar caps themselves, it's awfully hard to inspect yeah. something that's got another piece of sheet aluminum riveted to the top of it. Yeah. So unless something was showing up on the inside of the spar cap, uh, what mechanics look for most of the time when they do in the uh, inside the wing inspections is at the web, uh, they look for corrosion signs that would be, you know, between the caps and the skins. And they look for cracks or corrosion in the spar web, which is far easier than looking at it than the spar cap, uh, top and bottom. Could you be uh, a little more specific about what the spar cap is? I mean, I think of the spars just being the main structural piece, the, the, the joist, if you will, that runs the length of the wing. Well, That's correct, yeah. What's the, what's the spar cap? Well, spars come in, in different kinds of uh, manufacture. Some are extruded. Some are machined, but basically what you're looking at is the equivalent of an aluminum I-beam, okay? It's, if you took it out of the aircraft and looked at it, there would be a vertical piece they call the web, and then there would be a top and bottom piece they call the caps. Now, sometimes those are two pieces of angle riveted to it, two pieces of bent sheet metal riveted to it. On an extruded or machined spar, it's all one piece, uh-huh. but it's basically an I-beam. And okay. the caps, top and bottom, are what the skins rivet to, ah, the full okay. length of the spar. I got it now. Thank you. Okay. Okay. Well, I'm not sure what the, uh, I'm not sure what the practical lesson to be learned here is if this is so hard to inspect. I mean, can we can we encourage our our our, our annual inspectors to do something more or different or better or? Well. <coughs> um. Or is this quick just answer, the quick is this likely yes. an isolated case? I don't know. Maybe. Um, we'll find out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Because I'm I'm fairly certain uh, that um, um, NTS. I'm sorry, Embry Riddle is inspecting all of its air, all of its similarly sure. uh, uh, configured airplanes. Um, yeah. and, and I'll be uh, really surprised if there's not an AD or a mandatory inspection yeah. uh, to come out of the FAA. Out it, of might, it might be a one-time inspection, but there, there will be something yeah. come out of the FAA because uh, um, um, 11-year-old airplanes aren't supposed to lose their wings yeah. uh, on, no. a simple, on a simple takeoff. So, yeah, all that's, all that's uh, uh, probably in the works. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think you know a lot of a lot of the, the beach bonanza and barons um, have um, mandatory 500 hour inspections. I should say all of them uh, have mandatory 500 hour inspections for um, similar um, fractures um, in the web, especially and uh, um, associated sheet metal. Um, it's unclear. Um, what the stat? It's unclear to me right now, anyway. What the status of any of that is, if if the people are still finding cracks, things like that. Um, a lot of that 
was traced to, um, curiously enough, uh, ground handling uh, via the nose wheel. Stresses got transmitted through the airframe and, and basically uh, resulted in some of these cracks. Um, other um, aircraft, uh, there was uh, a uh, T-45 um, um, I don't, that's that's not the right number. T thirty four, excuse me, Mentor. Um, a couple of them actually uh, over the years have uh, have had fa- wing failures, wing spar failures, and um, since the construction of those designs is very similar across different models, mm-hmm. um, those inspections were exp- uh, were expanded. The T thirty fours were grounded for a while uh, while they checked out what was going on. Um, the heavier the airplane, the worse, the, uh, the heavier the, be- the bear and bonanza, uh, the worst, uh, I should say, the worse those inspections become because there's a greater chance of finding cracks. Uh, the lighter airplanes like ding, 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 my debonair, uh, I don't think there have been any such cracks found in those. Mm-hmm. You get into the A36s, though, and the, and the 55s and 58s, you start finding those cracks. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways. Yeah. I- interesting uh, story, sad story, uh, interesting story, I guess. Uh, to me, cautionary most, tale. The most sobering element of this story is Mike Bush's uh, last quote, mm-hmm. or uh, the last thing they attribute to Mike. A, a typical yearly inspection of a Piper PA-28 wouldn't necessarily reveal fatigue crack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I, the uh, failure on this wing, on this, on this arrow, uh, was started or was actually failed at the at the bolt holes. Yeah. And uh, I helped do a couple of annuals on on my Cherokee, and uh, the only way to inspect that is to unbolt the wing and take it off. <laughs> to get a good look at the holes where the spar bolts to the fuselage, uh, and that's not something that's normally done in, a, in an right, annual inspection. Exactly right. But I would not be surprised, as Jeb put it, that uh, we see a, an order for a one-time inspection on these, where they do have to take the bolts out, pull the wing, do die penetrant tests on on the s- structures that they can access. Yeah. Uh, before it, uh, it's returned to flight, right? Especially and that if, means new bolts and all that, right? Especially if Ember Riddle finds another airplane with these kinds exactly. of exactly, exactly. Well, they found similar fa- similar fatigue uh, uh, In, damage on the uh, opposite wing, on the other wing, but yeah. but you know it could be a similar kind of yeah. Anyway, so we should we need to move on here, but uh, yeah, uh, sobering story and. Sadly, we've got multiple sobering stories here today, but I really want to talk about this a little bit. Um, there, there's two other um, tragic incidents that happened um, in aviation in the last month. Um, the first one is actually from before Sun and Fun. Um, I, I think it was before Sun and Fun. This is the Southwest uh, Airlines uh, uh, 737. They all are. No, no, no that was, was after was, Sun and Fun. Was it after? In any event, um, the engine, oh, yeah, it was, because it was the day after I traveled home on a right. Southwest airliner. Yeah. Um, anyways, the uh, the uh, the engine, uh, and I will say unscientifically, the engine exploded. That's not quite true. The, uh, apparently, uh, one of the uh, one of the turbine blades detached, broke, and uh, 
and and got out, all right, and did some serious damage, including apparently popping one of the windows in the cabin, um, and uh, and uh, and uh, and you know not to be too graphic, but but apparently partially. Um, I'm trying to figure out the word that's not crude. A, a, a passenger was partially sucked through yeah, that broken yeah, window. You know, and and, and, and pa- other Hiro- passengers pulled her back in. Pulled her she, back in. Sadly, she eventually died. She did well, die. Well, I was going to say she was struck by <coughs> debris coming out of the engine. Yeah. So so this is an interesting story. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I'm sure there's going to be, you know, lots of, of, uh, of uh, investigation and reports and whatnot oh, about yeah. it. Um, oh, yeah. It, it's it's a weird story. I mean, first of all, you know, the uncontained. It's interesting. I saw a story soon after this happened that uh, some NTSB guy said, technically speaking, this might not count. This might be classified as an uncontained failure because uncontained failure has a very specific meaning in terms of the shielding of these uh, of these turbine blades, and and if the broken blade escaped an an another direction. Um, even though it's, you know, colloquially we would call it an uncontained failure, apparently it might not qualify as an uncontained failure for for their statistical things. But um, so stuff got out. The uh, the engine kind of went to pieces, or at least the the uh, the, the outside structure, the cowling went away, and uh, oh yeah, the intake shroud, the uh, uh, lots of parts went away. Was was severed like inside uh, an inside cutter on a lathe. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I've often sat in in. Airliners are, are, are turbine-powered airliners, and and found myself sitting right on the on the plane of one of the turbine blades, um, and you know the turbine turbine blades, right? And yeah. uh, and I and I and I it always leads me to visualize what would happen if one of these blades broke off and it would pop through the wall and you know impale me there in my little window seat. Now um, you know. Yeah. Turns out in this particular case that's not where the debris went. All right. This this window that was broken as a result of this damage was like at a more than 45 degree angle or about a 45 degree angle back from the uh, from the engine from from for, this, for, forward of the engine. No, it was it was behind the engine because the broken window was was behind the trailing edge of the wing from the picture I saw, um, hmm. and so okay. it didn't. It, it, the point is, it didn't happen on the plane of this turbine. Um, uh, right, it seldom does because yeah. that fan, that big inlet fan, while it's spinning like a bat out of hell, uh, is sucking air in, and it acts like a propeller. The forces on it are forward. Yeah. Yeah. So, anyways, it's uh, it, it, uh, it 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 it's all a thing that they haven't quite, you know, or at least they haven't told us that they figured out yet. But uh, um, one heroic part of this story, um, in and credit where credit is really, really due, um, goes to the crew of this airliner um, who just did all the right things, as near as we can tell. Um, the uh, the captain and the first officer, of course, did their job. And there's a bit, there's a audio uh, from uh, from liveatc.net um, of them talking to ATC and uh, uh, talking through the uh, whole you know um, uh, um, uh, you know arrival back um, at a at the nearby airport, Philadelphia, I believe, right? Um, and uh, and the captain of this flight just did a did a, a, a terrific job. Um, everything you would expect a captain to do. Um, and the uh, and the cabin crew apparently did their job um, in terms of helping people. Um, the passengers is an interesting thing. All right, 
Um, there's a lot of pictures that came out of that cabin during this emergency. <laughs> I know which picture you're right. thinking of, yeah. And, and it's really interesting, and a lot of people have commented on this. I'm not certainly not the only one to notice this. A lot of the passengers, so there's pictures of the passengers in this cabin as they're trying to get on the ground, and they're all wearing their oxygen masks because with the explosive decompression, the oxygen mask drop. And, and a large percentage of them are wearing the masks wrong, all right? They tell you very, very clearly in the in the pre-flight briefing, all right, that if the masks come down, you put on this plastic cup over your mouth and nose, all right, and breathe normally, right? I've heard of a lot of times. Um, and, and it shows people wearing these things just over their mouth and not over their nose, all right, which is kind of, you know. Kind of wrong. Kind of wrong. Kind, kind of, of wrong. sad. I wonder how many people experience some sort of uh, of oxygen deprivation as a result. Doesn't sound like they were. Um, it sounds like the flight crew got this airplane down to a lower altitude pretty quickly. Um, but uh, nevertheless, um, well, it was at, it was like thirty thousand five hundred or something like that. Thirty two something still in the climb, I guess, uh, when this event occurred. Right. Um, and even and they they got to get to to um, you know ten thousand feet or so. Um, I don't remember. There was a there was a graph that showed a fairly constant uh, descent rate. Uh, maybe it was like uh, flight aware or something like that, showing the altitude of the accident flight. Um, fairly constant descent rate to the ground, to the airport. Right. Um, uh, and this so. Let's say you're uh, thirty thousand feet. You need to get to ten thousand, and let's say you can do five thousand feet per minute in the descent. Uh, it's twenty thousand feet. That's still four minutes. Yeah, it's a yeah. long time. It's a long yeah. time. That, that is a long time to be at, at deprived oxygen. Um, so the crew did a great job, um, and oh, and so the the passengers were were just like not paying attention here. Um, and you know, I hear I see this all the time. Passengers are just like either don't pay attention or they're cavalier about about the you know, the safety uh, uh, advice that they're given and, you know, but uh, anyways, put the thing over your mouth and your nose, all right, and put yours on before you help the person next to you. And, uh, um, you know, on the other hand, there there are clearly the, the there's there are reports of, uh, I don't think it's too strong a word to call it heroism in that cabin with people helping other people and obviously trying to help this woman who went out the window and, uh, and that's all good. Uh, well, I've, I've had passengers seated next to me get up and move because i got out the briefing card for the aircraft and read through it and made sure that i knew where the exits were counted mm-hmm. how many rows from where i was seated to the nearest and mm-hmm. how many rows the opposite direction and occasionally they'd look at me and say why do you do that the flight attendant's going to take it because well I like the little extra edge of knowing when she says there's two in the front, two in the middle, and two in the back. I want to know exactly how far away they are Well, because I, I, you yeah. never know when something like this might happen. And they'll look at me and go, oh, bye. Yeah. <laughs> Jeb? <laughs> I always pay attention to where the exits are. Yeah. Um, either, you know, typically I'm way back in the back anyway, but... Uh, um, uh, as I'm walking down the aisle trying to find the seat, which nine times out of, well, half the time lately someone else is sitting in by the time I get there, but that's a whole other topic. Um, <clears throat> I kind of count the rows or make note of how far back I am. Mm-hmm. 
in uh, in relation to the uh, overwing exits, uh, how far I've got to go, and, and these kinds of things. I also right. try to note on which side of the aisle there's there are lights embedded in the floor mm-hmm. that uh, lead to um, um, the the exits, and uh, kind of make a note as to which side of the aisle those lights are on, mm-hmm. uh, things like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I kind of ignore the uh, the flight attendant briefing um, because I've heard it so many times before. Yeah, I, and I, I know I know to put the oxygen mask over my mouth and nose. I know to keep my seatbelt buckled. Uh, I, once I get on the airplane, I know where the exits are. Um, I don't know what else I need to know. Right. I, I confess I'm I'm a little bit because I've heard it so many times. I don't listen scrupulously either. Um, I try to listen well enough to notice if there's anything I hadn't heard before, which doesn't almost never happens. All right, you know, some other safety issue or, or something like that. But, uh, anyways, um, and, and nowadays, you know, they don't even serve food on the airplane anymore, so you can't even cross your fingers and hope someone has the fish. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, so the uh, the crew did an excellent job, and now I want to talk about something that I'm I'm just really really torn on this subject. I, I you know so I was careful in describing the crew to not call attention to the fact that the captain of this flight is was a woman. All right, and a lot of the news reports are almost almost amazed. It sometimes <laughs> seemed all right, and yeah. yeah yeah it's it's amazing. And and this just really really bugged me the whole time. All these stories, you know, on one level, calling out calling out the fact that the captain was a woman um, who did an awesome job. All right, um, is good because we need all the examples that we can find to help the people who don't understand to understand that women pilots are just as good as anybody else. All right. Um, and and there's still you hear you know you hear people you know comics and and others talking about you know when they hear a female voice making the captain's announcement they get nervous well that's a lot of crap okay um, it, you know it's just a lot of crap but and and so I was torn all these stories about about uh, the captain being a woman it's like you know yeah so uh, what's the big deal all right I mean she did a great job just as you would expect a captain to do all right because these are really especially on a on a on a major airline like this these are talented skilled experienced people who have got a lot of training right and uh, you know well, and, and plus uh, her- she's a plus she's former former military she's a fighter pilot for goodness sake well, I right? was going to say she had some training yeah, that most military pilots don't get because she was a naval aviator. I know. Talk about the right stuff. All right, you know, it's like so. So the fact that the pilot was a woman, the captain was a woman, is you know, I mean, I understand it's interesting. All right, but you know what? It, it's it, that that she did a great job is is wonderful and remarkable, but not because she's a woman. All right, because. She's a professional, and she knows what she's doing, and yeah, I, she saved I, a whole bunch of lives there, mm-hmm. right? And, I, I agree. The flip side of this is what what's the captain supposed to do right. in, an, in an event like this? 
Is, she, is he or she supposed to start screaming and drop the mic and, and, and uh, let go of the controls and yeah, say, well, oh, my God, we're going to die? Yeah, well, let me, um, I mean, women are no. emotional. No, women are emotional, I'm, man. I'm not, and, and they're supposed to, like, you know, it's I, just remarkable that a, that a woman was able to keep her cool in this kind of a terrible situation. I'm Holy not, moly. Yeah. Uh, um, that was sarcasm, folks. I, 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 I totally get that. And, and, and it was sarcasm because I know Jack well enough to know better. Um I, I guess plus Amy um, kicked my ass. Amy Amy would kick your ass, and I'd hold I'd hold you down. Uh, <laughs> Ooh, look, sounds look, like look, fun look. now. Okay, like, yeah. Not not that Amy would need me to hold you down. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, but I guess my punchline is, um, doesn't matter if it's a male or female. It doesn't matter if it's Sully or or um, um, this woman. Um, they're highly tra- these are highly trained professionals. And, you know, one of the things they're trained to do is fly the airplane, no matter what happens. And uh, we saw that in the, in the, in, in, uh, the ditching uh, on, the, on the Hudson. We're seeing it now where, okay, um, looks like we need a runway to land on, and we need it now. And what's the closest one? Okay, we're going to Philly. Um, mayday, mayday, mayday. Yeah, we've got a problem. Um, um, just, you know, give me a runway and, and, and let me do my thing. Um, it's training, it's experience, certainly, but a lot of it is just training. I'm sure that um, scenarios like this have been presented in to this captain and this first officer in their simulator sessions. Oh yeah, yeah. And and uh, you know, the the time that I had a uh, a partial engine failure. It wasn't a matter of oh my god, what am I going to do now? It's all right. I got you know, got to find a runway. Okay, we got that out of the way. Now I got to maneuver to the runway. Okay, I got that out of the way. Now I got to land the airplane, and you know, it's just a series of steps that I'd practiced and trained for over the years, and um, you know, except for for uh, unpuckering the seats once the airplane came to a stop, it was fairly routine. Yeah, all things considered, because I'd trained for a lot of this. Well, the thing that impressed me most about the, the captain on this flight was her vocal demeanor. Yes. For, for lack of a better mm-hmm. way to describe it. There is not a hint of the adrenaline that had to be surging through her veins right about then, knowing that she lost an engine. You know, you're down to one. Could the same thing happen to the other engine? I got to get the airplane down so people can breathe. I got to find a runway. All this stuff that she's trained to do, and the simulator does a good job of making you sweat. Yeah, I mean, I've I've done enough sim rides to have the emergencies they threw at me uh, cause me to exit with sweaty palms. Uh, and then the real thing comes along, and this this woman is is cool and calm as the you know the the announcer at, at, at a big box store saying that we got a blue light special sale <laughs> in the back yeah you, yeah you know that's 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 impressive beyond uh beyond my experience yeah and, uh, so uh, captain tammy did a hell of a job saved a lot of lives uh kept what could have been uh, kept a situation that was bad from getting worse yeah I mean, it, 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 
Yep. Because as did, that, that's happened. Yeah. As did her first officer, who sadly whose name I can't find. I've been searching the net here for it. Um, the whole crew did a great job. Congratulations. Yeah. Um, good job. And, uh, yeah. Anyways. Um, so the other one I wanted to talk about, and maybe this is the one that was from earlier, um, was which is the Hudson River helicopter crash. Yeah, that was before Sun and Fun. Yeah. Um, this one is is truly shocking to me. Um, so, so sightseeing helicopter, um, you see them all the time if you're in New York. Um, I, I did a job actually, one time. Actually, it might have been a sightseeing operation, but it was a photo mission. Yeah, okay. Which, well, which and that's kind of what you're about to talk about. Right, exactly. Um, uh, but I, I got the feeling from reading the reports, and maybe I'm mistaken about this, but I got the feeling that it was a, uh, it was sort of a civilian photo mission, right? It was, right. A, it was a particular kind of operation that had the helicopter with its doors off to allow better visibility for photos and other things, I would imagine, all right? And because the doors are off, I guess, I'm speculating here now, because the doors are off, they wanted to secure the passengers in more securely. All right? that's, that's SOP. Yeah. And, but, but, and so what happened here, though, is that um, they, they basically strapped these people in in such a way that the passengers were themselves unable to release the seatbelts. Um, really, I mean, technically they could have because there's there was some apparently some briefing about a, a using a knife in order to cut the straps or something like that, right? But I, it's just, uh, yeah, that that this, that's this, when that's when Dave says, "Wait, these don't have <laughs> yeah, right. we, these these don't have quick releases." Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, know? could I have my money back, please? Right. Yeah. I, I, Do you have any just, idea how long it takes to cut through a bloody? Uh, Seatbelt strap or right. a tra- training strap, right? And and how hard it would be sitting upright in breathing air, all right? You know, and trying to fiddle with this knife that maybe you dropped on the floor, as opposed to upside down and breathing water. Exactly. All right. You know. So I, this just strikes me as, and you say it's standard operating procedure, David. This just strikes me as being a just a, a boneheaded situation from the get go. All right. Well, I've I've worn harnesses when I'm doing air to airs out of an airplane with a door off. Uh, sometimes it's nothing more than the seat belt of an aft-facing seat, which has a quick release. Other times it's been a full-body harness with a strap on the back, which has a quick release. If we had to, if we were forced to land and the aircraft caught fire, I am not going to be burned alive because I can't get the bloody harness un- unhooked from the aircraft. Yeah, but this not having a quick release on this, it just astounded me yeah yeah i mean i i i'm of the school that says that we 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 are very very careful about attributing criminal you know prosecution to people who are involved with airplane accidents problems all right but this one is almost crosses the line in my mind all right this is wrong this was just a bad 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 idea that i i don't know how you guys feel about that part but uh well, like I said, if it'd been me and the guy says, "Okay, now here's how you get your harness loose from the aircraft," and he pulls out a knife, I'm like, "I'm, I'm done. I'm out. Yeah. I'm out." Yeah. I've been underwater in an ultralight that didn't have a quick release buckle on the seatbelt. Yeah. Now, David, you now I'd never. It's, it's interesting, David, because we've been doing this 11 years, almost 12 years, and I thought I'd heard all of your stories, right? For 
better or worse. I thought I'd heard all your stories. At least twice. Yeah, right. Yeah, uh, not more. But David and I, Jeb, were talking about this at, at Sun and Fun, uh, talking about this incident, and David told me this story that he's now alluding to. Um, what happened, David? You were landing an ultralight in a water situation. What happened? Well, I was taxiing uh, an ultralight equipped with a new design of floats, and... Uh, the uh, floats had more than adequate buoyancy for the for the weight, but the front of design let the the bow of the floats dig into the water if you caught a wave or a ripple. I'm taxiing downwind. A gust came along, started to lift the tail. I tried to give it, you know, down and a blast of power to push it back into the water, but the floats dug in and it just flipped tail over king post. And deposited me in the water. The king post was on the bottom. I was about, my mouth was about six inches from the surface. And I was beginning to bend tubes trying to get my mouth to the surface to get another breath of air. When a safety diver showed up with a big knife, held it up in front of me and said, you know, here it is. He cut the seat belt and it cut the seat belt quickly, but it still took like 10 or 15 seconds to cut the seat belt, grabbed me by the strap of the camera I was wearing, pulled me down through the structure and up to the surface, and a videotape of this whole thing showing my upending to when I came back to the surface was about 95 seconds. (sighs) 95 seconds with more adrenaline than I've ever experienced in my life. Yeah. 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 I mean, that's just, that's terrifying to me. I, I just, I can only imagine what it must have been like. Well, I never made that mistake again uh, well, in terms of a, a, a seat belt that was not a, sure. a metal-to-metal buckle. Sure. But now here's a story that you have told us over the years uh, that happened after this ultralight incident that you're just referring to that puts it in a different context for me. Um, you voluntarily, of course, um, underwent um, um rollover training at one of the safety stand downs right. um, yeah several several times yeah, yeah. Um, and 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 it when you related the story about that rollover that inversion training underwater and how to get out and all that kind of stuff that that just scared me just in the first place but within the context of that you kind of came close to dying in the real world in this kind of a situation it impresses me all the more um, that you were willing to undergo that training I mean, did did that concern you? Did that was that on your mind when you did the training? What was in my mind when I when I asked for the training? Uh, it was an option during stand down. Uh, was partly based on the experience with the ultralight down at Key Largo all those years ago, uh, and partly because I'd flown the Cayman Caravan and you know been exposed to a whole lot of water, and had plans to do something like that again, and I. Th- cannot hurt to have more experience with being inverted in the water the first time able to see the second time with uh, blackout blinders on so I couldn't see anything and had to learn to follow the bubbles to know which way was up Mm -hmm. Uh, had to find the window exit and get it open by feel Uh, all the stuff that they briefed us on and prepared us for before we did this dunk but it's disorienting as hell when you do it when you can't see. I can only imagine. Um, Foxtrot Tango. I know, really, really. And we had two safety divers in the water. It was scuba tanks that were there 
when we went in and the uh, and and the cage tipped us over and and and, and immersed us. Uh, and if we went beyond a certain period of time, I, I think they were I think they were saying ninety seconds. Uh, if you went beyond ninety seconds and weren't out, they they rescued you. And I only saw one guy get rescued in the multiple years that I did this. Yeah. And uh, he just flat out got so disoriented. He got the harness loose. He got free. But then tried to follow the bubbles to the window instead of finding the window first and then following the bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. And he wound up going into the aft part of the dunking chair where he was basically trapped. Yeah. Yeah, uh, and this was with the mask on. Uh, what they taught us was, as soon as you're stable, get the window open, get your harness off, and then follow the bubbles. The right. bubbles always go up. Yeah, yeah. So, anyways, um, yeah. So, I mean, first of all, huge condolences to the folks who died in this helicopter crash in the Hudson a few weeks back. Uh, what a what a horrible tragedy and what a horrible experience that was obviously um and and i i just i'm i'm just i'm i'm just angry actually quite frankly i'm angry that this operation was was operating this way um and i don't know what to do about that but anyways pay attention to the safety instructions i guess that's that's a theme here all right pay attention to these safety briefings all right it it, it may or may not have been true that these folks could have or could not have gotten out but but Pay attention, all right? Do it, you know, because sometimes Captain Haynes taught us, man, you can participate in saving your own life, and uh, um, mm-hmm. I, I've tried to take that to heart. Anyways, um, anybody want to wrap that up? Because we need to move on here. Yeah, go ahead. Well, and you never know. You might be in an air, a new airliner where the uh, system is different than what you're used to flying. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Anyways. Shout-outs. Oh, we've definitely reached the end of our allotted time here. Um, I'm going to let you guys collect your thoughts about shout-outs, all right, while I uh, do a little bit of podcast business here, which is to uh, thank our Patreon supporters. Um, you know, um, we we have a, a number of our very, very generous uh, uh, listeners who support us through the website Patreon, um, where you can make a, a per-episode repeating donation to uh, support the podcast uh, of any amount, from a dollar upwards. Um, and, and we thank everyone who helps us there on Patreon. Wanted to call attention to the fact, though, that um, there is a reward level. Uh, by the way, we're, I'm, I'm, we're trying to come up with um, a reward that every Patreon supporter will get. Um, um, right now, it's $3 or more that you get a, a quote-unquote reward. Um, we're trying to come up with something that we can we can we can give to everybody. But in the meantime, anyone who who uh, supports the podcast at the level of three dollars per episode or more um, gets the after show, which we record immediately following this uh, recording this episode, and that goes to everybody who gets the uh, the uh, at the reward level. The other thing we've started doing, and maybe we'll do more. It's kind of very it'd be a, you know an occasional thing, but um, we're occasionally doing video things and other kinds of media about the podcast um, and. For so, for example, we did two, um, uh, two of the daily episodes we did at Sun and Fun. We actually uh, recorded video for them as well, and uh, and although um, we're not making that video exclusively available to the reward patrons, we are making it um, in advance uh, exclusively. So, about a, for about a month, it's only available to them. So, if you're a reward level patron, if you get uh, support us with three dollars or more, in addition to the after show, you get these other bonus things like the special video versions of of you know the uh, sun and fun show dailies so uh thank you to everyone who helps us out there on patreon and who sends us the things through the uh, paypal tip jar we really 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 appreciate it 
Shoutouts. What do you guys got? Anything you want to do before we uh, wrap this thing up? Yeah, I got uh, one recipient, two shoutouts. Okay. Um, the FAA. Uh-oh. Yeah, yeah. Um, first shout-out is the FAA this week um, put out formal guidance stating that a um, complex high-performance airplane, I, that's, that's not correct, a, um, yeah, a complex high-performance airplane is, not, is no longer required for the commercial and flight instructor uh, um, check, check rides. Check ride, yeah. Um, the um, over, t- you know, previous rule was for the commercial and flight instructor, you had to supply an airplane, basically one with constant speed prop and, and retractable gear, making it, I guess, a complex airplane. Um, that's for obvious reasons, uh, at least f- uh, for the uh, mm-hmm. for the CFI. Uh, for the commercial, it's probably somewhat less obvious. Uh, but over time, um, there are not too many uh, complex airplanes being manufactured. The aforementioned Piper Arrow we discussed is is still in production, uh, lim- limited though that is. Um, the uh, the Cirrus, of course, is is fixed gear. All the the uh, new manufacturer Cessna pistons are fixed gear. Um, the Bonanza which is not really a training airplane, is retractable. Um, the, um, but there's so many other aircraft that ha- have been employed over the years uh, for training purposes and in, 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 uh, learning how to operate uh, retractable gear or constant speed prop, et cetera, um, just aren't being manufactured. And it's hard to keep them maintained. It's hard to... Uh, uh, um, keep them going and make them available for check rides and for training. So the FAA wisely has removed that requirement, mm-hmm. uh, and I think that's that's a uh, on one level unfortunate, on another level a sign of the times, on a third level um, bravo again for the FAA for to the FAA for for recognizing the uh, the changing nature of the industry. Um, the FAA also is rolling out some some new products for ADSBN uh, weather the, the the quote FISBE side of uh, ADSBN okay. uh, FISBE standing for flight information service broadcast okay um, and uh, right now of course we can get next red um, uh, radar imagery, we can get METARs and TAFs, uh, we can get PIREPs, NOTAMs, etc. But soon, uh, in June, according to a variety of sources, we're going to start seeing lightning strikes, we're going to see turbulence, uh, icing forecasts, cloud tops, center weather advisories, all available in the cockpit via ADSBN and the, and the FISB side of, of ADSBN. Cool. Um, some of this will require uh, additional software or updated software on your display device, um, but you know I'm sure the the popular uh, EFB applications will will be Johnny on the spot with all this. Mm-hmm. But uh, this this too is coming, and nice. uh, uh, it's uh, it's a it's a good thing. Yeah, it's a brave new world, man. It's a brave it's, new world. It's a brave new world. Now, if we could just get our email in flight. <laughs> no, see, that's okay. Uh, distracted flying, right? Uh, I got I got an email back the other day said insufficient postage. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Did you have another one, Jeb, or was that it? You had something I, else you said. No, just two for the from just the for two, just for two. And David, any shout outs? Yeah, I do have a shout out. Uh, I, I, I want to shout out to uh, AOPA NBAA yeah, uh, yeah. in particular, who uh, very quickly discovered a uh, a sneaky insert into. Uh, uh, I, th- I believe it's H.R. 4, the FAA reauthorization bill, uh, an amendment, an, a, a manager's amendment using a special privilege where it didn't have to come up for a hearing and didn't have to come up or anybody know mm-hmm. about it or get to vote on it. Right. And that was going to create a, uh, a, a uh, management advisory committee and a new manager's post to wh- whom air traffic control would answer and the advisory committee proposed was uh, set up f- to be a uh, a mirror of the uh, board of directors that Representative Schuster wanted when he was trying to privatize ATC. Yeah. And th- between some fast tweets and some good lobbying and the uh, manager saw the handwriting on the wall and by the morning after had withdrawn the that part of the amendment uh which was basically headed to give us a privatized ATC uh through the back door and uh so good work by the alphabet groups good work by all the people that jumped in on very short notice and inundated their lawmakers with not only no but hell no yeah yeah, that was a that was a good thing. If this if we recorded this podcast two days earlier, that that would have been a big subject because it only just got withdrawn. Yeah, but, yeah. No, this only happened yesterday. Yeah, yeah. Jim, just, I'm sorry. Sh- just shameless. Just yeah, absolutely shameless. It really, really is brazen. All, a lot of these things are, but anyways, uh, is that it? Are we done? Fork time. Um, yes. I believe. Thank you, guys. That's it's, it always a real pleasure to talk with you uh we got shut out last week when we were going to record but we had technical problems and um and, and this has not only been a very long episode but i think a very good episode here's hoping that the new system is actually recording it all uh, <laughs> yeah that would really suck it, it says it is all right i'm i'm cautiously optimistic but anyways thanks guys uh uh that's uh, uh jeb burnside there jeb is a freelance aviation writer and editor serving as the editor-in-chief of aviation safety magazine what have you been working on jeb anything fun I'm working on uh, the uh, show coverage for Aircraft Electronics Association. I'm going to finish that up uh, um, this week over the weekend and and get it off to AEA. Look for that. uh, Not not only show coverage, uh, what went on at their their annual meeting in late March, uh, but also uh, all the new products that were introduced during that show. Uh, look for all that coverage, I believe, in their June issue of uh, Avionics News for the Aircraft Electronics Association. And once I get all that in the can and shipped off, um, I'm tackling the June issue of Aviation Safety Magazine. It's June already, man. I was looking at my it's work calendar. June already. Yeah. I know. It's I know. just it's just amazing. It's it hardly summer rolling, here. Rolling along. Yeah. Well, that's great. Where can people find out about these things and you on the internets? Well, aviationsafetymagazine.com is a great place. Uh, AEA.net for the Aircraft Electronics Association and Avionics News. Uh, on the Twitter machine, I think I'm Burnside J. Mm-hmm. There's always uncontrolled airspace. There's always... Uh, uh, work I've done for avweb.com, for generalaviationnews.com, and for aienonline.net, I believe it is. 
Very cool. Very cool. And David, thank you very much. Dave uh, Higdon is an aviation photographer and aviation journalist and the U.S. editor for London's Ab Buyer magazine. What have you been working on, David? Busiest oh, guy boy. in aviation journalism, I'm telling you. It's just amazing. Uh, it's a, it's a uh, working on uh, adding a new client, uh, working on uh, pieces for, well, my May stuff's all done. And let's see, what did I do? <laughs> I should be ready for this more often. Uh, yeah, yeah. Just just doing lots of different things. Tell us what what publications. What are the uh, websites that people can go to find some of the oh, things you've been well, writing? Oh well, look for my weekly blog or my monthly features at avbuyer dot com. Uh, you, know, you can find me at Avionics News at uh, aea dot net uh, or uh, h- hanging around at local brew pubs. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, on Twitter, what are you on Twitter? My Twitter is Real Higdon. Um, and I'm Jack Hodgson. I'm a private pilot, a freelance writer, and a digital media producer. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, in addition to pr- working on this podcast and trying to find alternate uh, voiceover IP solutions, uh, I am uh, continuing to do uh, YouTube videos. Um, I recorded, I, I posted a few at uh, Sun and Fun this year, and those are already on my YouTube channel. Um, I, I uh, also captured a lot of other video material that I'm going to put into a couple of different other Sun and Fun related videos. Uh, uh, one is another uh, behind the scenes at a, a UCAP daily recording session that that'll be out sometime soon. Um, I also, I uh, our our pal Dave Shellbetter um, gave me permission to uh, roll some cameras during one of the uh, interviews with a pair of the uh, wasps, these these awesome heroic women um, who were interviewed on the deck and uh, telling their stories. And uh, I'm going to convert that into a, a series of videos just to let people listen to some of their stories directly that was great cool. dave you were there you were part of that that interview um and uh, and a few other things from from sun and fun as well as my ongoing uh, uh producing of uh, new videos that's on my youtube channel um you can find me on the internet at uh, jackhodgson.com uh, on YouTube, I am youtube.com slash Jack Hodgson. Um, you can find some of my ebooks uh, on Amazon. Search in Amazon for Around the Field in the books section. And on Twitter, uh, it's Jack Hodgson. Uh, and uh, you can learn about all this stuff and, and more than you ever really wanted to know about me at jackhodgson.com. David, was there something you wanted to tell us? If you want to live to be as old as Jack, go fly <laughs> because time spent flying is not subtracted from your lifespan. Bye-bye. And that's enough talking. Let's go flying. That reminds me, Jack just had a birthday recently. He did. That's what brought it to mind. He did. He did. They seem to be coming more and more frequently these days. I don't quite understand.